Welcome back to the information security stack together with me, Darren Gustafsson and Kim Hindart. Today, Kim, we will try to explain to you who are listening to this podcast on a regular basis what the EU Cybersecurity Act is in an overall general statement. And if you haven't heard about it yet, you should care and you should listen in and you should start to uh, get I believe excited about it maybe not everyone will but I do think it is very relevant and I think it's a good thing that EU now finally is trying to to establish a framework uh, for which the IT industry can now start to work according to and have some sort of regulation for what is expected in an IT delivery so Kim EU Cybersecurity Act what is it yeah so um, the Cybersecurity Act is of course something that EU realize that the digital market will be the next big thing mm. or it is already the big thing but yeah just look at the IT companies to the top companies today are all IT 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 it's Microsoft it's Apple it's Google it's or Alphabet to mm. be uh, correct but I mean IT is the biggest new it's not oil and it's not banking that used to be a few decades back so IT is the big really biggest shit today and mm-hmm. the digital so they realized that having a good sense on the digital market was a good thing mm-hmm. having it perhaps with a common sense of security rules was a good thing i mean i try to compare this to would you like to travel air travel if there were no security rules common for all air traffic or no regulations for how to build an airplane Exactly. No, I wouldn't. I would stay away from it. And I think that's a sensible thing, that you should have a common set of rules for this. But traffic on the internet, well, sorry to say, that's been a bit of a Wild Wild West show mm-hmm. with gunslinging duels in the morning and stuff. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so finally, EU at least came up with a law that requires you to ensure that certain systems that are critical for society and stuff... Mm map to a specific cybersecurity standard with a specific cybersecurity resilience in mind. Mm. And how do you meet this law? Because <clears throat> as you can imagine certain laws, let's take an example, GDPR. Mm. You shall meet the technical organizational requirements to meet the proper security standard. Good luck. Ah, clear. <laughs> Perfectly clear for any <laughs> supplier. Go for it. Yeah. Just make it happen. What is that? Yeah. What is that mm. then? <laughs> mm-hmm. What is appropriate technical and organizational security controls? Mm. Uh, well, yeah. And here we are. So anyway, the important part is they have actually set up a sense of good expert committees. So what did, what happened was that the EU said we will uh, set this cybersecurity act as a law. Mm-hmm. But how should you meet the cybersecurity? How can you know that you are within the meaning of the law? Mm. Then they set it to their expert agency, ENISA, European Network and Information Security Agency, was it called before. That's why it's shortened ENISA. They mm. kept the shortening name ENISA still. But now it's European Cybersecurity 
agency. So yeah, just just to make it everything super clear and not confuse exactly. anyone. But that's, <laughs> that's yeah. But it true. used to be network and information security agency, yeah. but now it's European Cybersecurity Agency. Still, of course, called ENISA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. can't change the acronym exactly. But no. no. But anyway, ENISA is their internal experts in this area. So of course, yeah. it was sense made sense that they should do a sense of a certification scheme, so you could certify that mm. you are within the legal limits of the law. So yep. the law says you need to be certified for specific for uh, th- uh, systems that fall within the prerogative of that law. Yep. Mm. And then you need to be certified, and then you need to certify. <coughs> and then they made a good scheme and framework for suppliers to know can I supply this within mm-hmm. this certification scheme? So th- that was a good thing, a smart thing. So what Inissa did brilliant is that they set different assurance levels. Yes. Why is this good then? <laughs> well, that means that we can start to look at the actual business that we're trying to support. And then the business in itself can also then try to map their own needs against these uh, schemes. So we don't have, you know, one bag of eggs or basket of eggs for everyone and you can actually then pick depending on the type of business you are and what type of delivery that you want uh, a need most primarily not just want need is a is a key word here um, so hence the three different layers of of uh, support you can ask for depending on what type of service you uh, provide yeah, so uh, there are three different scream, uh, schemes so to speak so instead of other information security standards to where it is a very much on off binary either you're yeah. certified or you're not mm. here they put up three different assurance levels it's called basic substantial and high yeah just to understand basic yeah what do they mean with these assurance levels what are the point with these assurance levels basic is not basic by any means from information security point if you're a normal company. Mm. Basic is all the controls in 27001 ISO standard, Mm. all the controls in ISO 27002. So not only do you need to implement all the controls, you need to implement according to best practice. Yes. Then you have all the controls in ISO 27017, that's cloud security as well. Mm. And then you have all the controls in ISO 22301, that's business continuity. Yep, so that's the basic level. This is far more than 99% of any private company does today as it is. So that's yep. the uh, a basic. So we need to understand Enisa's requirements is boiling down to national security. Yes. The highest requirement should be able to protect and withstand attacks from a national security perspective. Yes. So, okay. So what does Enisa say themselves about the different assurance levels? Basic, should withstand any attack of any known threat out mm-hmm. So known threat, that means patch every vulnerability, protect against all the normal robotic attacks, automated attacks, everything that we know about, ransomware, mm-hmm. everything. So, I mean, and if, if we look at all the breaches out there, every one of them is made by known attackers. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a very high requirement by itself. So it's a very thorough requirement. So yes. Mm-hmm. But then they said to the expert committee, okay, 
how exactly do we need to protect against this? How, what are the requirements we need to put in place mm. in order to protect against all known <laughs> threats out there? Mm. And that, then an expert committee set out to do this work for different sort of uh, schemes. So everything from products, you know, you have products that can be set in a scheme and this is how you have to manufacture a secure product. This is how you update a secure product. This is how you, so from the production industry, you had how to secure servers, network equipment, yeah, and stuff. And then they had for 5G, how do you secure a 5G network? Mm. How do you secure artificial intelligence? How do you secure, yeah. So you have, they made a lot of schemes with good expert groups from a global level, for instance. Yep. And then they realized early on, we need one for cloud because cloud is hugely important. So cloud services has a separate dedicated certification scheme. And that's a bit woohoo for us. Yeah, absolutely. It, I mean, it, it helps out tremendously, for sure. So we have a good certification scheme now when it comes to cloud services. And then mm. what are we delivering? So then you get three different levels. So on the basic level, you should protect against all known threats. Yep. And hand to heart, we are bad at this. Do we patch everything? immediately exactly. do we yeah there's a reason why you get updates all the time right now mm. but do people press update on their phones in the no orderly fashion super irritating so you postpone <laughs> it and then you postpone it and you, then you forget about it and mm. oh 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 crap i didn't yeah. do it for a year so that's a hard thing to reach that's mm. a, but then we have substantial and high so, okay, what does substantial say? It should withstand a targeted attack. So that's when someone is actually trying to red team. When deliberately, it's targeting you and trying to ha hack you. You yeah. should withstand a targeted attack with, from an attacker with limited knowledge and resources. Mm. And then this is hilarious. What do you mean with limited knowledge and resources? Yeah, they mean 100 million euro and less. <laughs> exactly. So... so <laughs> Let, let's put let's put that into perspective. So if you have any insights or understanding of the, how the world looks today and the majority of DDoS attacks, for instance, because that's the way to, a way to not just hack someone, but you can just attack uh, a company, right? So let's use a DDoS attack. On an average today, the normal, again, there are several uh, options here, but normally on a daily basis, the DDoS attack that occurs is some snotty kid in mom's basement with her credit card, which he stole, which he or she stole. And they might have a credit limit on that set to a few thousand dollars. And then they start to attack a company. And as you know, if you've ever been exposed to that, it takes about an hour, maybe three hours, and you can kind of see the attack dying off over that span of time just because of the lack of resources to continue to purchase infrastructure to DDoS a specific company. So that's the normal DDoS attack. If I have a hundred million euros to spend now, you, yeah, I, I could go on for weeks, years if I have that amount of money, right? So it's, it's kind of funny the way they phrase that. Um, if you have a hundred million euros to spend, A, do something more valuable with your money than to just try to hack someone or DDoS a company. But if you have those resources and that's your intention, guess what? You could be active for a very, very long time doing that. So, but that's according to the standards in this case, limited resources. 
But what's yeah. the actual meaning of that then? Yeah, but because if you look at the high standard, of course, mm. what are the high standard meaning? Why, if you implement all the requirements if, if of the EUCS high standard, then you should be able to have natural security stuff there. Mm. So they have to be able to be resilient enough to withstand target attacks from CIA, from NSA, from FSB. Mm. I mean, they need to be able to withstand foreign intelligence attacks from China, Russia, Iran, United States, United mm. Kingdom. Or and whoever wants to get yeah. them. Uh, and they, of right. course, have a lot more knowledge and resources than just 100 million euro to put mm. behind this. So yeah, uh, that's why in the EU sense, the EU talk, <laughs> limited is... <laughs> but yeah, from a corporate talk, so rest assured, from a corporate business perspective, if we're mm. not actually talking national security directly, military secrets, mm. from another normal business secret perspective, substantial is crazy high. It is. Substantial is crazy hard. Substantial, yeah. Mm. I mean, who else from another business perspective would be able to spend 100 million euro to attack you? So, so the absolute vast majority of you listening to this, if you were to, to purchase a service from a company and you want to apply one of these three layers or, or levels of security on top of that delivery, the basic level is way sufficient, way more sufficient. Or it's, you, you don't need more than the basic level to, to have that said. Again, Kim uh, told, told you the list of ISO controls you need to have in place just to meet the basic level. And if you start to think about it, how many of you listening to this in your organization have all of those ISO certificates? Now, I've kind of cheated, so I kind of know what the way it looks in Sweden currently and Europe right now. It's not, it's not that many of us. Let's, let's just put it that way. And in order, and also what you have to keep in mind, if you put those requests, let's say that you want a substantial level, and you, because you believe that you are a very, very important company and we should have a very, very high level of security in our IT delivery. Keep in mind that if that is added to the delivery, that means you as the, as, as the purchasing company is included in that as well. So it's not just the vendor, it's not just the provider who needs to have that security level for your delivery. All of your computers, all of your mobile phones, all of your applications, all the systems you're using, you as a person will be dragged into that control set. And trust me, the it's gonna, yeah, no, it, that's not gonna be a fun world to live in. So if you have that need, ask for it. If you don't, don't put yourself on a pedestal because you're gonna suffer from it. So <clears throat> that said, who needs the substantial level compared to the basic level. Yeah, we've mm -hmm. determined that if you are into military secrets, if you manufacture warplanes, yep. if you run nuclear plants, yeah, mm. sorry, you need a high level. So, okay, so let's do it. But as you can imagine, one company might need all three levels as well, just to yep. be sure. Uh, and we should not forget that you have a totally uncertified level. And 99.9% of everything digital can be uncertified. Just yes, to be sure. also perfectly clear. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the substantial level. That is for healthcare industries, for bankings, for insurance industries, for pretty much any normal regulated industry that's not directly connected to national security. Yeah. 
can be said that substantially is well li- within the limits for that. But mm. banking is an important part. If you're an internet bank, mm. yeah, you should be prepared that you might be targeted for an attack as well. Mm. If you are a trading platform, let's say a stock exchange, mm. you might be in the interest that you might be a target for because you have we are talking of this crazy amount of money so yeah mm. <clears throat> that said so like i said from the nice part of course that any and all other eu regulation mm. will map to this when it comes to the cybersecurity part because yeah eu i mean they're not stupid they know that the best agency to talk about cybersecurity requirements is inisa they are yeah. by far the best experts on this area mm. so gdpr if you follow an ISA basic, you will be very, very safe from getting any GDPR fines. Because GDPR takes into account that you might be breached by a targeted attack. Mm. And they allow for this. It will be still a uh, it will be still it will be still considered a data breach, but you yep. might not get fined anything for that because if they think that you have done enough safeguards and could have uh, could have done what you needed uh, reasonably needed to foresee this mm. then you're fine and protecting against all known threats yeah that's yeah that's what you can do that's yeah. what you uh, how much you can do on that level so mm. from a <clears throat> enisa uh, from a gdpr perspective it's more than no enisa basic and then you're set with gdpr in mind yeah because you sure. protect from the known threats that might happen and yeah and as i said inisa basic is a very very substantial level Mm. up from anything else so yeah Mm. but that's important to notice for instance and then you have other directives that map more you have the banking directives you have the resiliency directives and they map to the higher standards but that's when we're talking about insurance industry banking industry and stuff Mm. so so, so from that level. when does when does all of this fun start to kick in in real reality then? The Cybersecurity Act has been written into law in 2019. And the certification scheme will take effect in 2022. So the important part is, do you need to be certified? And the answer is no. No. No it's one needs to be certified. They all need to follow the law. But I mean, if you don't, if you're not certified, you have the entire obligation to prove that you follow the law mm. on your own internally. Yeah. So, I mean, the certification that helps a lot. So, just to, just to clear, clarify that statement, you as a provider are not obligated to certify according to these ANISA standards. You don't have to. It's up to you. It's completely optional. Problem if you don't, to Kim's point, if you want to be part of a procurement or if you want to sign a deal with a with a customer and they have a demand that you should be certified according to these standards, then, of course, you simply won't be able to provide a service for them. So it's op- it's optional, mm. but it's, <laughs> it's extremely beneficial if you do. Of course, if you're an organization that falls within the Cybersecurity Act, the, the legal compounds of the scope, right. of the, then you need to have this. But of course, then you can choose, I can buy uncertified products and have to self-certify them. Yes. Or I can buy already certified products 
and not have to self-certify them. Mm. And this is exactly the point. I think you will see a lot more demand for already certified products. Mm. Just look at the electrical component market. Anyone that would want to buy a non-certified electrical product today and put it in their equipment. I mean, you don't. You simply don't. And if you don't, because also if you don't, what happens then? You don't get an insurance. Mm. So if you buy uncertified products, you put it into your house and your house burned to the ground. Guess what the insurance company is going to tell you? Sorry, that was your mistake. So that's that's the problem. You really don't... even try to manufacture stuff and build stuff uncertified anything because then all the certification demands fall on you directly Mm. so yeah so but yeah so this is the same so if you want to be a supplier to the government agency that needs to follow this law yeah then you really need to look into the certification but the nice part is anyone can request this certification so procurements from the public infrastructure agencies would be a lot easier today because they mm-hmm. can just say we have determined this system needs to be in ISA substantial and that's it and then they can request you have to deliver in ISA substantial. Mm-hmm. So what happens now if I am as a supplier say okay I commit to delivering as in ISA substantial. Yep. Now I'm buying by the law. Now I can be charged by the law. Now I can be penalized by the law. Yep. The f- same moment we say we commit to supplying something within this legal framework, then now the law applies to me as well. And it's a law. And that's the nice part because then the customers don't need to do reviews and audits of you. The legal framework will set that in motion anyway. So you will have a government agency reviewing you. Okay, so I let's say I, I am a provider. I commit to this. I do it. I do get my certification. Who will do the audit? Yeah, that depends on the level. Okay. The basic level will be you need to report and uh, report stuff, send stuff into the governance, but that's a very much self, self-auditing self program that mm. you need to uphold. Uh, and of course, if uh, and people say you might lie on that. Yes, absolutely, you might lie on that, but then you're back to the... Uh, Dieselgate scandals and stuff. Mm. If it then, if you're then breached and it shows that you lied on that, yeah, sorry, you, you break the law. Mm. You you might lie on your tax returns as well, but if you get caught, then yeah, then you are in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so that's how it, that is handled. Mm. Uh, then the next level is uh, substantial. That will be contracted to the different expert agencies like. Uh, the different security audits we have today. Mm. People who do SOC report auditing and stuff. Uh, the big accountant firms have cybersecurity people that are out doing security audits mm. on other areas. The PCI, DSS people. In a similar fashion, you will the government agencies will uh, certify a few bodies that can go and do audits of you yep. for that one. And then the high level, that will be limited to national agencies only. And that will usually be the, the ones who do the normal military national security certifications from a natural level anyway. Yeah. So in Sweden, it's our defense industry and procurement agency that do product certifications for national security. Anyway, they will also do the cloud security scheme. Mind you that the different security schemes might be reviewed and done by different agencies. Mm. 
In Germany, you have different cybersecurity resilience agencies, but it's usually the defense agencies that do the final review on the higher level. Mm-mm. So the ones that are in charge of reviewing national security stuff are the, are the ones. So, mm. so those are the ones who do it. But each nation will pretty much assign their best expert team yep. for that for that assignment specifically. But yeah, it will be a national thing that uh, so it will not be but the substantial level will be outsourced to private contractors to do yeah so yeah so we have this one but i mean this is a this is a pretty big deal and yeah i can already hear the boo birds right that Mm. this is this is horrible this will this will hinder uh, the ability to build new services it will hinder the entrepreneurship it will hinder companies to to do new things all regulations is just horrible Internet should be free. We should we should have uncontrolled val- um, uh, money values mm. like Bitcoin and so on and so forth. Let's not trust the banks because regulated banks are horrible. Mm. Let's tr- let's let's you know trust yeah. the exactly. And let's apply this to pharmaceuticals. Anyone mm. should say should be able to make any pharmaceutical mm. without regulation yeah. and sell it as anything. I guess you would have one uh, or another snake oil salesman. Yeah. No, w- we, we, we of course trust self-regulation that you're ethical by yourself mm. because you wouldn't want to deceive people. No, no, of course not. there are no one that does that. So Of course not. So Everyone so, so, is totally so, honest mm. at all times, right? Yeah. No one has any... So pharmaceuticals would work without any government control or regulation. Mm. So literally what this is is something that the it industry has been lacking for years Ye- especially now with everything is digital and everything is on internet and this is not about regulating people to not be able to do things this is about regulating uh, organizations and it deliveries so we do not get hurt or killed mm. or destroy countries mm. disappear from the map because that's where we are currently in the world where you could potentially kill off an con- entire country with a cyber attack today. Mm. Completely make them disappear. And if you don't believe us, there's already been cases where the power was shut off in a country by another country mm. with, a legal, with, with a cyber attack. I mean, it's already ongoing. So this is just trying to do what all other industries are doing currently with regulation meanings let's not have a complete wild west shooting from the hip mentality and think that that's going to carry us moving forward with all the things that are digital today because you and your family and your income and your fellow citizens and the country you're living in could literally disappear and get hurt if we don't control this so yeah so would you take pharmaceutical drugs if you know that there were no restrictions on how you go what's available to advertise them yeah and what side effects? kim's <laughs> cancer medicine completely non-regulated yeah give me give me a batch of that no um, exactly of course i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't touch it with a with a with a glove right no uh, and this is just the normal baseline we need a common understanding of what are the dis- baseline hygiene security demands mm. in order for us to deliver us a mission critical system for society like a bank so hence why the levels are 
when you look at them, they seem very, very high and that's the whole purpose of it. But the basic level is just a hygiene level in order to distribute services on a decent level. And unfortunately, as you might, if you start to think about it, unfortunately today, far, far, far too many providers, companies, systems, systems that we are depending on in our society today are be, is being managed on a way lower security level mm. than the basic level in the NSN standards. And that so, can mean a lot of people can get hurt Yes, quite easily and we are fortunate that no more accidents happen. But yeah, mm. it's like saying you can run a nuclear cloud power plant without any regulations. Go. I wouldn't you, want to live close to that one. No, you could saying. until it blows up, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah so for sure. Yeah. Mm. And you still run the risk of that with, even with the regulations, right? But yeah. if it's completely unregulated, I think we would have. I think it would be not. More. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that the industry can self regulate. We've tried that. And no, yeah, no. Let's, let's stop that non nonsense, right? So, anyways, so that's the whole INISA deal and the whole Cybersecurity Act, which, as as we mentioned, has already been written into law, and then in 2022, the certification program will kick off. So that's going to be a good thing. Let's end this little uh, episode today with another topic and discussion. And we mentioned this quite a lot throughout our episodes, and we refer to it quite a lot. We talk a lot about human rights. EU often refers, especially with GDPR, they refer to the human rights to have your uh, integrity, your digital integrity protected. And the whole thing regarding that, what, 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 what do we mean with human rights? What are they basing that on? That means the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. Human yes. rights. So it's back to something very fundamental, but we tend to forget this. But the, the, uh, the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, they are very, very good, well-written stuff that are very much common sense what we take for granted in democracies today but unfortunately very few the majority of people still don't live within complete human rights so but mm. that's another question but, but the hu baseline human rights it's a smart thing to do and this is exactly why this supreme court in europe the eu court of justice mm was built on looking at the human rights specifically. So even if you have a constitution in Sweden and a Swedish citizen, even if your constitution is made to violate your human rights, the mm. EU can step in and say, this is not okay. You can't do a constitutional amendment or a, no, or a lower legal amendment that violates people's human rights. Mm. So the EU Court of Justice was set to control nations to ensure that they can't even violate human rights of people. Mm. So what what's the baseline in a constitution? Normally, how you select a government is part of the baseline. This, the EU Court of Justice, don't care about it as long as it's an equal opportunity for every people. Everyone mm. has a voting right. Yeah, yeah. Then, then they don't really care about how you select the government. That's up to each nation, so to speak. Mm. What they do care about is like freedom of the press, freedom to express an opinion, uh, protection from unjust criminal prosecution. Mm. These are baselines that are in every constitution, but these are also written very well in the Human Rights Charter of the United Nations. So mm. if you start with the first article, all humans being are born free and equal in dignity and rights. I mean, this is very sensible and essential in uh, most democracies. You should have equal opportunity as a human. You shouldn't mm. be 
discriminate. It's like they said, everyone is entitled to all rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration, without distinction of any kind, such as race, color, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or societal origin, property, birth or other statuses. Mm. So even if you're born poor, you should have a decent human rights, basically. So even if you're poor, you shouldn't be subject to being tortured, being <laughs> discriminated. Mm. E- if you're black, white or blue, you should still have the same rights. You should have the right to vote. You shouldn't be discriminated because you have a different religion. So th- these are sensible things like you see in normal constitutional stuff. So that's, mm. yeah. Everyone has a right to life, liberty and security of person. So yeah. You shouldn't be sold into slavery. You shouldn't be subjected to torture. And then you have all these rights that everyone has a right to fair trial, a decent trial, and you should be equal in front of the law. So this yep. is also so most common sense. So you should have the right for a fair hearing. And this is exactly where the EU Court of Justice and the United States FISA mm. clash. Because the FISA courts you're not allowed to face your accusers. Uh, the FISA courts are done in secret. Mm. But you as the target of that court ruling are not allowed to know about it. Mm. So you can't face your accusers. So that's when EU considers a violation of your human rights. Yeah. So that's uh, the big reason why that is a clash there. And I can tend to agree that you should have a a right for your day in court. Everyone is deserves their right in court. So <laughs> court rulings done in secret and people say, but we have taken care of your rights by assigning a secret counsel to you. Yeah, exactly. But if I can't review that, mm. how do I know that? Yeah, exactly. but we promise you that we did that. Okay. Mm. <laughs> ah, so. Well, but still, this is the reference at least that the EU is talking about this moment when they when they do talk about human rights. This is what they refer to. So it's actually a good read. And also, I think from a pure uh, business that ethic per, uh, perspective, mm-hmm. it's not too bad to read through it as well and start to think about, you know, what, what are the foundation of our organization? Why do we do business? Is it just to make money in any way, shape or form, no matter what? Or do we actually want to base our business on some sort of human rights perspective as well? I think that could be a good thing to, to look into as well. So I think the human rights are a really good read and uh, we tend to miss them after a while. We learn them basically in school, but then we don't really read them. But I think you should read and reflect on them because it's mm. a really good read about it. Yeah, and I think so as well. Yeah, they're, they're really nice. So I would, yeah, make a push for just read up on the human rights because they are nice. They are good. And uh, uh, yeah, as I said, as you said, as business leaders, we might also consider should this be something that we look into as a business and see, mm. do we do we agree with these ethics? Do we agree mm. with these values? Mm, exactly. And yeah, and that's a good thing. I think so as well. So, of course, as always, we will link uh, not only the uh, uh, UN uh, human rights perspective, we will also link the uh, uh, ENISA Cybersecurity Act. So you can read upon it as well and make your own determination of if, if you think this is a good or bad idea or not. But of course, you can. We, we will link that in the episode. 
And we do that on citynetwork.eu slash podcast. And you can find all information on all episodes that we launch every Monday there. So uh, until next time, depending on where you are in the world and which date and time you're listening to this, I wish you a great week or a great weekend. And we see you next time. Take care. Hope up. Thank you.